Welcome to the Storyteller Podcast. A very big thank you to Jacqueline, my newest patron on patreon.com. Thank you so much for your generous support. Because of your donation, I'm going to be able to work on this podcast more this month. This episode is dedicated to you. Now let's get started. Chapter 25 of Arona, War Rally. When I woke up, Chelsea was gone. I got out of bed and looked out her large windows and saw the entire city alive in preparation for war. Across the lake, formations of Nudonian soldiers, knights, and wagons were preparing for the march to Castone. I hurried back to our rooms, only to find everyone gone. Where have you been? came Jack's voice, suddenly behind me. I slept in, I said. Yeah, I bet you did. Where is everyone? They're getting ready to go. Get your stuff, quick. Drew and Leaf are already packed up, and our guides are ready to leave to Nocer. We hurriedly made our way out of the city and across the causeway to where my brothers were. The smell of death still filled the air from the battle the day before. I climbed down from my horse and could see my brothers taking turns hugging Drew as I approached. See ya, man, I said, going over to hug him. I'll see you in Nocer. Be careful. I will, he said. You guys too. I shook Leafin's tiny hand and smiled at him, watching as both he and Drew mounted their animals. Watch over my brother, I said to Leafin. He smiled and nodded at me yes before he flew up in the air and Drew looked down on us one last time. Good luck, guys, he said loudly as he slapped the reins of his horse and rode off in the direction Leafin had flown. Let's go! Our guides have been waiting, said Cubby, pointing to a caravan of horses and camel-like creatures led by two dark-skinned men in yellow turbans and trended on his cobra. Seeing them somehow made something within me break. I'm not going with you guys, I said. I'll meet you in Nocer. What? said Cubby. What is going on around here? Drew leaving, Allie staying here, and now you? I love her, was all I could think to say. She's a princess on a different world, snapped back Cubby, frustrated at suddenly losing another brother. So what? I'm staying with her. I'm going to Castone with her and King Richard. After that, I'm going to try to convince her to come to Nocera with me. Then we can all go back together. Jack looked at me and shook his head in disbelief, but he pulled me in for a hug. I'd probably do the same thing. Love you, brother. Good luck. Idiot. Lost another one to the love bug said Cubby as he hugged me. I guess I would do the same thing if it was Amanda. Stay safe and meet us in Nocer. I will. I watched them ride off until they were out of sight. For the first time, I was alone on Arona. I hoped I wasn't making a huge mistake. I rode out into the city, asking where the king and princess would be as I went. Finally, someone directed me to the eastern gate, where a sea of soldiers dressed in red uniforms with white crosses on their backs and chests were getting ready to depart. I could see the elite forces of white knights up ahead and knew the king must be nearby. The white knights were a legendary fighting force of about 300 of Newdonian's finest warriors and Richard's personal bodyguard. Unlike all the other soldiers of the kingdom, they and their horses wore white uniforms over their armor with red crosses. I rode through the masses towards the front. As I rode to them, I could see the princess light up and smile as she saw me approach, instantly making me feel better about my decision. I dismounted and walked up to the king, bowing respectfully before him. King Richard, I'd like to go with you to Gaston, if you'll let me. 
Why? What of your quest to return home? I'm in love with your granddaughter, I said, smiling at her teasingly. She tried not to smile back, but the blush on her cheeks gave her away. Love, he scoffed. You don't know what love is, boy. Very well. I'll take every soldier I can. I hope you're willing to fight. Yes, sir. Good. You may travel with us, then. Your recent visit to Castone may be of some use to us. The king gave a signal, and the enormous army began to slowly move out. I wondered why the army wasn't going by sea, and when I asked a nearby soldier, he reminded me that the sea was controlled by Russo's men, who would now be under the rule of King Akat and his allies. The only way to go would be by land. King Richard's plan was to march north to Castone. The march would take us through a number of kingdoms, where Richard intended to demand their help. It wouldn't take much to convince them that the supply of Aron did not belong under the control of Akat. He had already sent out delegates to every kingdom, instructing them to prepare for war and notifying them of King Akat's plans. Those kingdoms not on the way were to send their forces directly to Castone, where we would all meet for the invasion. I rode with the king's party at the front of the army. Row upon row of knights on horseback followed us in a light gallop, shaking the ground beneath us. The sound of the horses and our metal armor made such a thunderous roar that I could hardly hear the man next to me speak. I had never seen so many men in my life. I looked behind as we rode up a small hill and saw a red sea of slow-moving infantry behind the cavalry. This was followed by even slower wagons, carrying all the large war machines and supplies for the long journey. How could any city hold out against such a foe, I wondered. And this was just the start. Many would surely join us along the march to Castone. Richard had made it very clear that any kingdom who wouldn't join us would become his enemy. At about dusk, I saw black smoke rising into the sky as we rode through the hilly outlands of neighboring Eastbourne. Richard had wasted no time getting revenge for his lost grandson. The outer wall and gatehouse we had passed through just nights before to rescue the princess were now in total ruin. In the distance, I could see the city of Eastbourne engulfed in flames. The king must have sent an army to destroy the kingdom right after we had returned. General Didier rode out to meet us. I was just behind King Richard, who slowed down as the general neared. I have destroyed Eastbourne, your majesty. I have the young king's head in my satchel, as you requested. Good. Show me. The general reached into his satchel attached to the side of his horse and pulled out the blackened and bloody head of a young man with dark curly hair. His face was pulled tight in a horrifying scream, as if he had been tortured before being beheaded. Princess Josiah turned away and gasped. Surprisingly, I was hardly shocked. Unlike before, I didn't even feel sick at the sight of the blood and gore which I was becoming accustomed to. Feed the head to my dogs when we camp tonight, said the king. Well done, he added, before continuing to ride on. As it started to get dark, we stopped for the night. I wasn't used to riding a horse for so many hours, and I couldn't wait to get off. A grouping of tents was set up for the king, the princess, and some of the higher-ranking officials. There was also a large tent that served as a meeting area for the king and his traveling court. I was instructed to sleep with the army, out in the open, using the blanket under my sweaty saddle to keep warm. As I was taking my saddle off, a man I recognized handed me a note. 
Meet me at my tent when the two moons align, it said. I smiled as I read it. I spent the next couple of hours sitting by one of the larger fires with the rowdy men, wondering how my brothers and the others were doing. I felt alone and lonely without them. I never even got to say goodbye to Allie. I was told she had decided to stay in New London, perhaps to stay close to where Larry remained. I worried for Drew, who was all alone, riding all the way back to Eldon. No one could do a better job of watching over him than Leafin, I reassured myself. And Jack and Cubby, traveling even farther, with two guides we didn't know. At least they had Trendon. I tried not to think about it. Finally, the moons were almost lined up, and I didn't want to wait any longer. I made my way to her tent. Most of the men around me had passed out and lay scattered, so much so that I could barely walk without stepping on them. Tiny insects, almost invisible, would light up in different colors and move out of my way as I walked, leaving a bright trail of my path. As I approached her tent, I could see two men standing guard in front of her closed entrance. I wasn't sure what to do. I looked around for another entrance, but there wasn't one. I circled back and walked up to the guards. Before I could even say anything, they moved to the side, apparently expecting my arrival. Princess Josiah? I whispered as I walked into the poorly lit tent. Over here, came her voice in the darkness. I could see a shadow of a bed as I walked over in the direction of her voice. Will you stay with me? I sleep better when you're with me. I started to climb into the bed before she stopped me. Please take off your dirty clothes first. I did as she said, and then I climbed into the warm, soft bed. We lay there without speaking, my arm around her while she sobbed silently. I knew she was grieving for Cyan. Perhaps it was why she needed me with her, so she wouldn't feel like she was alone. I'm sorry about Cyan. I, I wish we could have gotten there in time to save him. I I'm so sorry. I tried to comfort her. She turned around and faced me, and I wiped the tears from her soft cheeks. It's not your fault. I might still be in Eastbourne if it wasn't for you and the others. She reached out her arm and put it on my forearm. I'm so glad you're here. I leaned in to kiss her softly, and for the first time she kissed me back passionately. Eventually she fell asleep in my arms, and I followed soon after. After a few days of heavy riding east, we came to the kingdom of Nonia. The king and queen of Nonia were old friends of Richard's, and one of his biggest trading partners. Nonia was responsible for supplying most of the food to the southern kingdoms. One of the largest rivers of Arona cut through the arid Nonian lands, creating an extremely fertile farming area, which in turn produced a wide range of crops. As we approached the yellowish, wind-weathered yet impressive walls of this kingdom, the decorative wooden doors of the main gate swung open. What this kingdom lacked in wealth, they made up for with style and beauty. Nonia was famed for their beautiful people. All Arona knew of the tall, slender beings with impossibly white skin and hair and eyes of every color. Two-legged beasts poured out of the entrance to join our army, moving at alarming speeds. The animals seemed quicker than our horses, and they were also slightly larger. They looked like a cross between a velociraptor and a horse, with short, black, shimmering hair covering their bodies. They gave a shrill cry as they ran in, leaping bounds towards us. The men and women on their backs wore cream-colored hooded robes to cover their bodies entirely. Hardly any of their skin was visible in the hot sun. 
They even wore cream-colored gloves, white sashes over their exposed faces, and long, lace tan leather boots. Each of them wore black round glasses and carried very long black spears. Two of them rode straight up to the king. Queen Materia, King Juden, thank you for coming, said the king. Of course, my people thirst for the drink, said the queen, removing her sash and exposing bright white skin, dark wavy hair, and piercing yellow eyes. Now I know why Russo has been slowly cutting down our supply of Arone these past months. He knew we would join you. Finally, my grandmother, Lenore, your beloved wife, can rest in her grave once I hold a cat's head in my hands. She hardly had a nose, but I still found her strikingly beautiful. And he will pay for his deceitfulness, as will his allies. Together we will wrestle back control of the Arone. We go to rally the other kingdoms, and I trust we can count on your support, said King Richard. That you can, said King Juden. We've spent these days since your messenger arrived, preparing to leave as soon as you were here. Very well, let us march on. We rode for several days with little change in the landscape. Every day we headed northeast, the land became a little more barren. Though the days were exceptionally difficult and tiring, I still considered them the best days of my life. I was able to spend each night with Chelsiah. I had never been in love before, and I couldn't imagine my life without her now. I was completely infatuated with everything about her. How she spoke, her expressions, her eyes, her gentleness, her lips, her smile, her laugh, everything. I felt like I would be happy to ride all day for the rest of my life if it meant being able to spend my nights with her. When we reached the sandy shoreline of the sea, we continued east. Towering, steep sand dunes flowed into the clear blue sea, and magical creatures swam just off the water's edge as we rode by. We are now in Indusland, the oldest kingdom of Earthmen, explained the princess as she rode next to me. She looked beautiful in her long white coat trimmed with soft gray fur. The dunes form a natural barrier, for they are too steep to pass. The beach opened up to a wider area and I could see a large, dark, circular tunnel at the base of the natural sand dune wall. Camels rushed out of the hole as the deep sound of horns rang out. Atop the camels rode light brown-skinned men. They were colorfully dressed, and each screamed high-pitched sounds as they rode. These men are from Earth. They came here thousands of years before my grandfather, said the princess. They are the oldest of our kind here on Arona and great friends and allies, though they can seem a little wild at times. I watched elephant-looking creatures come out of the opening, many with large crossbows mounted on their backs. The animals were huge, with at least 50 men crammed atop each. One of the largest painted elephants rode directly towards us. Instead of the mounted weapon, it carried a richly decorated wood platform with railings called a royal... Howda. On top of the howda were many scantily dressed young women, lying on pillows and cushions. The elephant stopped, and out of the large room in the center of the platform exited a tall man, who smiled and waved at the king. King Inwani, so glad you could make it, King Richard called up to him. I see you travel in style and comfort as usual. What? This junker? He scoffed, looking down at his opulent surroundings. 
Mine is in the shop. I had to battle one of my prince's rides. It will have to do. King Richard let out a deep laugh, and I realized it was the first time I'd heard him laugh since he'd received the news his grandson was dead. Take one of these fine young women as your bride already, said the Indus king, grabbing two voluptuous women by their waists and pulling them close. It's about time you've had another. We can discuss it after we've taken Castone and wiped out the Taronks, said Richard. I'll hold you to it. Well, what are we waiting for? Let us go, said King Edwani, signaling for us to leave. Horns were again blown all around us, and the combined armies started to move. Where are we headed next? I asked the princess, wondering what kingdoms lay ahead. We must first cross the southern peninsula through the desert lands of Skylar. Then we will begin the most dangerous part of our journey through the great wastelands of Asokatala. Only thieves and murderers live there, and no law or order is found in that cursed place. My grandfather hopes to hire a large number of mercenaries. I don't think it's a good idea. Most never leave the wastelands alive. That didn't sound promising. That's it for this chapter of Arona on the Storyteller Podcast. I hope you'll take a minute and make a pledge at patreon.com forward slash Adam James. Help me keep this podcast free of advertisements. If you can't make a donation, you can still help. Every review you leave makes a difference. Either way, thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.